those times when you find yourself in a really deep conversation with a friend or maybe even a stranger? Maybe you've had a few glasses of wine and you start talking about life, the universe and everything in between. I worked at the local pub for four years and in a culture where discussing religion is generally off limits, I can't tell you how often I'd overhear men at 1am chatting with their mates or with the stranger next to them after a few pints about whether there really is a god and what's the whole point of existence. But in the same way that bad situations always seem worse at night, these kinds of conversations I find often seem silly, and I'm using air quotes here but you can't see me, when you wake up the next morning and a healthy dose of again, air quotes, real life, greets you. Your alarm goes off and you get ready for work and those big questions about whether there's more to life than this just kind of pales in comparison to the pressing needs of the here and now. You've got to get the kids to school. You've got to get ready for work. You've got to do that admin task that you've been putting off. This healthy dose of real life is exactly what Screwtape arms Wormwood with when he advises him to distract the patient, i.e. his particular human, from seeking out any form of objective truth about the big questions, like why are we all here? Welcome to Magic Like This, a C.S. Lewis book club podcast. I'm your host, Christina Wallace, and today we're going to be diving into the first letter. Even though Lewis wrote this book, decades ago. It touches on some very relevant attitudes that modern day thinkers have towards faith. There's so much in this letter and I'm going to have a look at a few quotes which I've highlighted and we're going to just kind of try and break those down a bit. Now just a reminder from last week's episode, I compared screw tape letters almost to like a negative swatch of film. So we have to read everything for its opposite in order to get the true meaning. And I bring this up because you're going to hear screw tape refer to God for the first time. And remember, in his eyes, God is the enemy. So here's what he says. And this is quotes that I've highlighted throughout. This isn't one continuous stream of Lewis's writing in this letter. I'm, I'm pulling out highlights here. It sounds as if you supposed that argument was the way to keep him out of the enemy's clutches. But he doesn't think of doctrines as primarily true or false, but as academic or practical, outworn or contemporary, conventional or ruthless. Jargon, not argument, is your best ally in keeping him from the church. Don't waste time trying to make him think that materialism is true. Make him think it is strong or stark or courageous. That is the philosophy of the future. You don't realise how enslaved humans are to the pressure of the ordinary. They find it all but impossible to believe in the unfamiliar while the familiar is before their eyes. Keep pressing home on him the ordinariness of things. Above all, do not attempt to use science, I mean the real sciences, as a defence against Christianity. This will positively encourage him to think about realities he can't touch and see. I didn't quote that perfectly, so you'll have to forgive me on that, but this is the 
sort of gist of the letter in terms of the ideas we're going to explore. He also mentions in this letter an anecdote of a patient of his own, Screwtape's own patient, who he once tempted into uh, eternal damnation. And the anecdote is essentially talking about an atheist who was sitting in the library and he started to really contemplate big ideas about life, the universe and everything. And he was naturally, through his own thought processes, starting to come to the idea that maybe God does exist. And so what Screwtape did was press on him the ordinariness of things by suggesting that it's about lunchtime and you're hungry and it's time to go get a sandwich. And as soon as he left the library and he was hit with a dose of quote unquote real life, i.e. the newsboy shouting on the corner and all the sights and sounds and smells, he was sobered, and again, air quotes, into realizing that that existential thought process was just silly. So, quite a harrowing first letter to start with, but there's so much in here and it's fabulous. So I'm going to try to dig into as much as I can in the next 30 minutes or so. So, this idea, Screwtape says, of argument and jargon in real life, is coaching Wormwood to distract his patient from a genuine search for truth by using jargon that places a different kind of value system on ideas. Instead of valuing something because it proves itself to be true over false, He's saying that the patient should value an idea based on whether it is, in Screwtape's words, academic or practical, outworn or contemporary, conventional or ruthless, strong, stark, courageous. He's, he's using labels and jargon to move the goalposts of how we measure whether an idea is worth our time or not. Now, I'd like to jump in here and say that the act of independently filtering out ideas in and of itself is not a bad thing. Using labels to help us filter out ideas is not bad. The danger is when we accept or attribute those labels to ideas either because society has deemed it so or it just feels right to us without engaging our minds in the more complex unpicking that can only be prompted by the question of, but is this true? There is a paraphrased quote from Henry David Thoreau that's in one of my favorite films called Into the Wild. It's possibly one of the top films that I've ever seen in terms of just how poetic and beautiful not only the writing is, but the cinematography and the music and everything. And it's actually based on a true story about a young guy who just graduated university with honors. He was very intelligent and he left his apartment and his wealthy family and he donated all of his savings and he essentially hitchhiked across America to Alaska because he felt that there had to be more to this material world than what he had experienced. And he'd experienced kind of the best of the best in terms of our material reality. He was an honor student. He had a lot of money. But en route, he stopped with some strangers. And as they sat around a campfire on the beach, he said, rather than love than money, than faith, than fame, than fairness. Give me truth. And he said he was paraphrasing Henry David Thoreau. And that paraphrase from that film, I loved it so much that I wrote it on my notebooks in high school because I thought, what a bold request of this life 
to want to walk through this life with our eyes wide open and have, above anything else, a clear sense of truth. So screw tape warns Wormwood against allowing the patient to engage his mind in genuine, thought-provoking argument because he knows that any mind which genuinely seeks to understand the true depths and meaning of life will, in their logic and reason, indeed find the creator of it all in their search. He even goes so far as to warn Wormwood against letting the patient study science. Contrary to modern belief, many of us Christians do not fear science. In fact, I personally embrace it. I once had a friend at the pub tell me that he could never embrace faith because he considered himself a man of science. And my heart broke because I just thought, what a terrible job we've done as the church if we've led people to think that the study of how the world works could do anything but point us to the incredible vastness of the universe and that vastness being so magical, pointing us then to the existence of the one who made it. For me, the idea of an intelligent creator feels more logical than anything else the more science reveals to me about the complex, interwoven existence of this world down to even the molecular level. A perfect, loving God is right at home in the beautiful picture of creation that science paints for us. Science points us to the truth of how big this universe is, and suddenly a big, loving creator seems more plausible. And it's here that I find that the connection Lewis makes between science and truth so fascinating. Screwtape is encouraging Wormwood against allowing his patient to seek out what is true. And so that excludes philosophical questions as well as scientific study. To Lewis, truth is not mutually exclusive to science, but is also extended to philosophical thought and questions like, is this true? What he's saying here is that discovery of material truths through science should actually point us towards the bigger questions of spiritual truths, not away from them. And Screwtape knows this. This is why Screwtape is basically saying to Wormwood, don't let the man think for himself. Because I believe that as creations of a God who loves us and who dignifies us, our curiosity and our intelligence will naturally lead us to discovering the one who made us. I think we were hardwired that way. And Screwtape's fear implies that there are truths to be found in those big questions like, what is the meaning of the universe? Those questions aren't silly just because you have them at 1am after a few pints. I'm going to be bold here and say that I wholeheartedly agree with everything Lewis is saying. I don't believe that truth is relative to our opinions or what feels right or what culture tells us is right. That's not to say our thoughts on things don't matter. I think it's really quite the opposite. I think that God esteems our thoughts and our curiosity so highly. But Screwtape's greatest fear in this letter is that if we truly engage our curiosity, our thinking will eventually guide us to discover the truth that we're longing for. God hardwired us to seek the beauty of truth, but he also dignified us with the freedom to choose whether or not we want to embark on the search. Screw tape knows this, 
And so he wants to rob us of the dignity of truly engaging our minds by keeping our thought life numbed to the distractions of the here and now. This is where he brings up that example of the atheist whose philosophical search for God was cut short by a rumbling tummy and a need for lunch. And once he stepped back onto the street, he sobered up to the ridiculousness of such a quest for truth. I was most struck by one particular line. Keep pressing home on the patient the ordinariness of things. In essence, Lewis's warning to us in this letter is this. Do not numb yourself with the distractions of everyday life to the point of allowing your brilliance and curiosity and creativity to fall asleep. Christ died for you so that for all eternity, you would be awake to the beauty of your own existence and his love for you. Now, if you're thinking, but if I can't discover the beauty in my everyday life, like I have to live right? I have a job to do and bills to pay. What do I do? I can't just sit around in a library all day having deep philosophical thoughts. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we can't discover God in the material reality. Quite the opposite. And Lewis even addresses that by basically saying, don't let him study the sciences because the sciences are deeply rooted in our material reality. And they, again, point us back to God. And in a later letter, Lewis talks about how we can connect with the divine and awaken our senses in the direct here and now, doing something as simple as going for a walk. I can't wait to get to that episode. But before we can do that, we can't shy away from the questions that bubble up in us every time we step out onto the road and are overwhelmed with the ordinariness of the passing cars and the bustling people and our alarm going off and reminding us that we've got to drudge ourselves to work and it's just another day and god I don't know about you but I've definitely gone through seasons where I have felt so numb to my life in my thoughts and in my body and in the world around me and in my relationships everything in its ordinariness has kept me so numb to the idea that there is a rich and beautiful eternity that's waiting for me so that question of Is there more to life than this? That question that only seems appropriate to ask in the wee hours of the morning or, you know, alone with maybe one intimate friend. That question that feels so vulnerable, that feels so much like it's exposing hopes and dreams that we dare not let the world know because if there is more to life than this, it almost seems too good to be true. It almost seems like we're putting too much hope in that potential truth that if our hopes are dashed, we might not be able to survive it. But the question stands, is there more to life than this? That's what Screwtape doesn't want the patient to ask. Because the answer is yes. There is so much more. There's magic to this life beyond our wildest dreams. And I know this because I've experienced it in ways that I hope at some point I'll get to share with you. This particular letter really starts us off as we mean to go on. It really carries on quite well from the preface in inviting the reader once again to step into life with their eyes wide open, to recognize that both the quest for philosophical truth, for real answers, and the quest for material understanding of the way this world works 
both point back to God. Now, you might be listening to this and you might disagree and that's okay. You're still welcome here and I love that you're listening to this and just wanting to learn from a Christian perspective what we believe and why we believe it. But I'm going to pose this to you because I'm sharing a lot of what is called apologetic thinking, which is a almost philosophical science behind why Christians believe what they believe. And I've had people come to me and say, you know, the idea of intelligent design just doesn't measure up for me. And that's that's fine. I, I really think that we all have to go on our own journey. But the reason why I've been able to go through some of the darkest seasons in my life, some of those times where, as I described to you, everything felt completely numb with depression and anxiety and a whole host of other things that I've gone through in my life. But the reason that I have been able to maintain my faith, even in the midst of those lows, even in the midst of those extreme, ordinary, suffocating seasons, is because I genuinely believe, I genuinely believe this, if there is an intelligent designer who created this complex universe, everything will point back to the fact that he exists. If he made something, it will bear his signature. So I'm often really confident, even in seasons where I have big questions and not everything makes sense, or when I see a new scientific discovery and I see someone try to warp it and use it as a way of proving that God doesn't exist, which by the way, you can't prove a negative. So it's really quite difficult to prove that God doesn't exist, but I see people try and it never threatens or intimidates me. And if you are a Christian who's intimidated by science, I would encourage you to dig into where your fear lies because the only way to be intimidated by the study of how creation works is to not really trust that there's a creator behind it all. But in my mind, if God really is the maker of all things, then everything will sing back to his glory and his existence. There's actually two scriptures here that I think really defend this idea that both philosophical and scientific exploration both point us back to the discovery of the one who made it all. One is from the book of Romans, chapter 1, and it's verse 20. This is the Amplified Translation. For ever since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through his workmanship, all his creation, the wonderful things that he has made, so that they who fail to believe and trust in him are without excuse and without defense. This is a really heavy letter from Paul the Apostle to the church in Rome. And it's essentially saying that every line of curiosity will lead us back to God. If we dignify ourselves with the opportunity to fully indulge our curiosity, engage our intelligence, engage our creativity engage our gifts of research and learning. I believe that a good and loving God looks down on his people and encourages them 
to use every gift they've been given, their gifts to love and to learn and to explore and to ask questions. God's not intimidated by those things. And so we shouldn't be either. Remember that love isn't based in fear. And I mean it when I say that God genuinely loves you. So he's not afraid of you asking questions. I've asked huge questions of God before. I've asked him multiple times if he exists and genuinely not been sure of the answer. And God has met me and he's answered me through my curiosity. So don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions as you read along. Don't be afraid to ask questions within the book club if you want to join us. And I'll remind you, if these are questions that you are coming up with, maybe you are asking, what's the meaning of life? Gosh, I wish I had the full answer to that one. Uh, Or questions like, does God exist? I have a slightly better answer to that one. But any of these kind of questions about just probing at your own faith, really, I'd invite you to join our book club over on Substack because we'll be having more candid discussions about these questions that come up after we read each letter. And I'm going to be doing exclusive content over there, extended interviews with guests, monthly group calls as the group gets bigger, and generally the book clubbiness, that's like the dumbest word I've ever come up with, but we're going to just roll with it. It's really meant to be experienced in tandem with this podcast. This podcast is not in isolation. So if you are interested in joining that, it's five pounds a month to join or the cost of a cup of coffee. I know people say that all the time, but it's a really great metric. Cost of a cup of coffee a month and you can join us over on Substack at magiclikethis.substack.com and I would really love to have you, really love to chat with you. But I'm going to finish now with a psalm as I would like to at the end of each episode and this one feels appropriate for what we've touched on today. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Everything in all creation sings to the glory of God, my friends. Be blessed, have a lovely week, and I will catch up with you next Tuesday for the second letter. And we'll be joined by a special guest for this one. I'm really excited to join my friend Bex who is a radio presenter in Christian radio. She's far better behind a microphone than I am. And she's got a fabulous story to share with you that is quite relevant to letter number two. So I hope that you'll be joining me next week. And until then, take care.